Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we are joined again by Sean Keane from the New York Daily News. Sean, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a fun episode. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We have the, at long last, Rogue One is just a few days away. Mm, That it is. And we're discussing, Stephen... Well, obviously, we're discussing Rogue One Catalyst, the prequel novel that leads into the movie. Uh, yeah, it's this. This is this is a fun one. It gives you a lot of great insight into the uh, into the characters and kind of helps set up the the story and, and where we're at. Before that, Tom, you want to give us the episode rundown? Yep. Uh, the, or the episode... book rundown in this case. Yeah, the actual oh, yes, book rundown. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Sorry. No, <laughs> yeah. it's it's cool. We're we're good. Everybody understands. We're we're reviewing Catalyst. So this is a Rogue One Catalyst. This was written by James Lucino. Um, war is tearing the galaxy apart. For years, the Republican separatists have battled across the stars, each building more and more deadly technology in an attempt to win the war. As a member of Chancellor Palpatine's top secret Death Star project, Orson Krennic is determined to develop a superweapon before their enemies can. An old friend of Krennic's, the brilliant scientist Galen Erso, could be the key. Now, Galen's energy-focused research has captured the attention of both Krennic and his foes, making the scientist a crucial pawn in the gal- galactic conflict. After, but after Krennic issue, or rescues Galen, his wife Lara, and their young daughter Jen from the Separatist kidnappers, the Urso family is deeply in Krennic's debt. Krennic then offers Galen an extraordinary opportunity to continue his scientific studies with every resource put utterly at his disposal. When Galen and Lara believe that his energy research will be used purely for altruistic ways, Krennic his, uh, has other plans that will finally make the Death Star a reality. Trapped in their benefactor's tightening grasp, the Ursos must untangle Krennic's web of deception to save themselves and the galaxy itself. There I will say, yeah, I, I will say, I'll start this right off. I, you three probably have read the book, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I may have read well, it once or yeah, twice, well, I, something I'm, like that. I, I'm just saying it because I started reading the book, but I decided to go the other direction with it, and I got the audiobook. So, oh, okay. Yes. And it's not. How'd you like the the audiobook? You know what? I liked it. I I liked it because, and and, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I was able to see the whole time the tightening web that Galen was put in that Krennic was setting up. Um, The actor portrayal who who read it did, I think, a great job. There was no problem with the uh, different vocal inflections for the different characters. Um, but it opened it up a little bit for me to understand really how Galen was just, just so sucked into this with, and you could tell step by step by step, there was no way out of it. Now, I don't know if I would have gotten the same, um, the, the same insight from the book cause I did start reading it and there was no block for me to continue the book. I did enjoy reading the book, 
I just got to a certain point to where I had a hard time just picking it up because of other things. So the audio book for me was great. I finished it within a couple days and I just loved how you could really sense everything from the audio book that, that we'll be discussing in this. Um, the only thing, and, and this is, I don't know, because of the audio book, it, to me, it just ended so abruptly. And I don't know if that's naturally it was reading from the book and this was the unabridged. So I don't know if there was a difference between yeah, the that's, abridged. That's, 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 that's purely the, that, I mean, that's the, that's the book itself. It's not, the audiobook doesn't yeah. change. Okay. That, 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 so we, what, should, we should get into the episode. And, yeah, and, and, uh, and that's what I figured, but, but that's my impression of the audiobook. And if you want to pick it up, it, it's, a, it's a steep price, but it actually is a very good listen. And I was able to finish it within a couple days. So, and like I said, it really grabbed my attention the, the whole way through. So I think we do need to get into the episode, though. So, at this case... Yeah, so- so let me ask you guys something. How when we saw the trailers for Rogue One, uh, the actual movie, not the book, mm-hmm. how old did you guys think Jin was? I thought she was five. No, in the not in the. Oh, as in Felicity. Jones. Oh, I sorry. Yes, sorry. I guess she is. You do see her as a child in the movie as well. Yes. I was thinking of during the majority of the story. How old did you think she was? Mm-hmm. Because for some reason in my head, and I guess it, I think it's more of an act, uh, a Hollywood thing, I always expected she was kind of the same age Luke was in episode f- uh, four, which is to say she's like maybe 18, 19, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the book starts off with Lyra being pregnant with Jin. Right. And this starts off, and this is during the... Uh, during the Clone Wars. The beginning of the Clone Wars, even. Right. But that, that means she's only three years older than Luke. I guess that's true. You know, so it's really I, honestly I, not that big of a difference. So, okay, so she's like what, twenty-two, probably then. Uh, yeah. Okay. For the movie, I, okay. I guess. Okay, I guess I can buy that. Yeah. I guess I always think of the Clone Wars as being much longer than it actually is. I think. <laughs> yeah, probably because we had uh, what? Uh, well, six, it's six seasons of six a television seasons. show. We had yeah. you know <laughs> five years of comics. And... <laughs> right. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. We probably had about a decade of, of Clone Wars in, in uh, material uh, or more, a little sure over a decade. They lasted in universe. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. I thought it was really cool that we get to see uh, Jin age throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. And kind yeah, of, at least I, you get I to like... tease her personality as well in the final movie. Yeah, and we don't get to see her go all the way up, but we kind of see her start to get from like a you know from before she was born all the way up to what five or so, I think. That, that's the impression I got, five or six. Yeah, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, Sean, what did you think of the whole? Um, I mean, the the book starts out and we're we're in the Clone Wars, and yet this is a this is for a film that's set right before A New Hope, and so we get a lot of those characters that we know we're going to see in these you know original trilogy locations and settings but we start in the clone wars what, what was your thought of uh of kind of did it surprise you that the book started out in the clone wars at all or, or yes. what were your thoughts uh, there yeah because of the the death star being on the cover uh, and everything obviously we saw we've seen the death star you know in in the past as well but it, it's very firmly rooted in our original trilogy mentality 
and I, I love when the those two heroes are brought together and mm-hmm. the, this is part of the reason I, I really enjoyed the book is that that transition because it's so easy to view the prequels and the Clone Wars as being something completely separate mm-hmm. so to see them knitted together like this is glorious mm-hmm. I completely agree with you it, it surprised me and I was like but it makes sense and it makes everything feel right and it's part of the same universe and I mean, we obviously know that but and, and we're kind of seeing more of that with I think Rebels as well where we're kind of where they are constantly tying in uh, the original trilogy and um, and the Clone Wars eras together and you mm-hmm. see them both you know the things from both eras side by side and stuff so it's I, I really enjoy enjoyed that quite a bit the other thing yeah, I thought Go, Sorry, go ahead. The, well, the other thing I found interesting when it came to this, um, the the kyber crystals, it's playing an awful lot. And this, to me, always ties mm-hmm. back to um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Always yep. ties mm-hmm. back to that. Uh, yes. So, and the other thing I, I enjoyed about the book when, when we talked about the Clone Wars is you do, at this point, still have some clones around as it keeps moving forward. So it does make the sense where, how it's the, the transition between the clone wars into, you know, the original trilogy. Uh, but the, the tie back to the Kyber crystals and especially when it came to Galen, you know, Urso doing the researching, you know, to try and synthesize a Kyber, uh, you know, a synthetic Kyber crystal and to really look at it saying, and you're getting more of an explanation of the, the breakdown of it. And I think it was the, um, the internals of the kyber crystal and all that was, mm-hmm. was fascinating with his research. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, obviously, as you said, start out with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but then we uh, we didn't really get any references to kyber crystals for the longest time. And, yeah. I think many people kind of assumed that they were a concept that had been thrown out of Star Wars in many ways. And then suddenly in, uh, I think it was the the Utapau arc that was mm-hmm. unreleased for the clone wars uh, they, yeah. I mean they, they released it in a unfinished form on starwars.com mm-hmm. but uh, that was the that was the episode where they were actually like trying to acquire a, a big kyber crystal which I, we get references to in um, uh, in catalyst as well which I, I really enjoyed um, but ever since then I think kyber crystals have been extremely important and we find out a lot more about them in this in this um, in, in this book, we, we find out that, yes, the kyber crystals are the things that are being used by the Jedi um, uh, in, um, uh, in in their lightsabers, not just any any, any crystal. The crystals oh, yeah. are... We knew yeah. that in the, uh, what was it, the young Jedi arc in Clone That's Wars? what I was going to say. That's true. I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're right, you're right. That, I, I, was, I, I, was, I was trying to remember, and I, I well, think they I remember. Well, they kyber crystals, though? I can't remember I that. thought they were. Well, let's see. Uh, you, I, I vaguely remember. I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the, the young Jedi Knights. Not young Jedi Knights, but uh, I forget the exact name of the episode. But um, but yeah, that was that was the one where they... It was the originally going to be the pilot for a brand new television show that never yeah. um, that was never actually ended up being released. And they screened that at Celebration for mm-hmm. a group of kids. Yeah. Um, you're right. That's where Kyber Crystal started. Yeah. Uh, and then they were brought up in the Utapau arc in a, in a much bigger way. And then now, and the, lately, they've been popping up over and over and over. And um, and we kind of learn how they work now. That yes, they are clear. They take on a color at some point, and the red is just because they you know tried to synthesize them. Um, and like once they're bonded with a, a Jedi, they 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 form a color. Um, and we find out 
you know, more about how, because Galen's whole life is is built on the study of these kyber crystals, which is com- very fascinating to me. Uh, that, that he spends his whole all this time, he's like the galaxy, the galaxy's expert on harnessing these kyber crystals. Um, well, he wasn't specifically kyber crystals. He was—I uh, forget the term they used. It was something like crystallographer. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's I, thought he, I thought he said he focused on kyber crystals. He, he focused on synthetic, but at the time there were no kyber crystals because the Jedi kind of right. controlled access to all of them. Yep. He knew, like I think everyone knew that kyber crystals were powerful just from seeing the Jedi work with them, but no, right. no one was really allowed to use them. And it, I think one of the things that the book kind of delves into towards the end is that. The Jedi were, I'm going to say, hoarding, but the mm-hmm. word may or may not be negative depending on how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think Galen even mentions, you know, sometimes you were able to find some very small crystals, but the bigger ones the Jedi kept, you know, hidden away. And what's fascinating about that is when it gets closer to the end of the book, he finally gets a feeling of why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Because there was a certain point in the book where he, he was just like, you know, that's very unfair that they are doing this i mean it, it should be something that that should be out there because of the power that a kyber crystal can can give and his experimentation was not starting out to be more of a weapon it was supposed to be a research to where it can get energy into planets or you know it's almost a self-sufficient energy source if i yeah. understood that correctly and it was for worlds that really needed it not as a weapon and he saw the kyber crystal as like that's the ultimate thing. But as he started working with it and as pieces started to, to go together toward the end of the book, he kind of got the feeling as to why. And I think even uh, Lara was at a certain point to where um, she wanted to get into the Jedi Temple or, or it, it was Galen to try and see what kind of research uh, was available. But like I said, he started getting the feeling as to why they, they, they were kind of doing this because they actually saw the true potential of a kyber crystal it was definitely interesting to see how lyra was like um concerned about the uh you, you could see like the, the kyber crystals would come into their to their lab and uh you, the, you know lyra would realize oh this was like probably from a jedi's lightsaber mm-hmm. right or you know and that sort of thing and, they, and then she kind of realized because she, she has this connection uh with the jedi and the force and she's she's not She's not necessarily not she's not strong enough to use the force, but she, I guess, is almost sensitive enough to be like, I know yeah. that it exists or something. I didn't feel like I, she struck me much more as like a, uh, I'd call it almost like a religious believer. Yes. Yeah, she believes exactly. in the force, but she can't feel it herself. She but she trusts in the Jedi. Right, right, and and I think that, was, that 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 is in line with what we know from. You know, or, or or lately, right? Everyone has midichlorians, but it's just how much midichlorians you have that controls, like how strongly you can connect to the. Yeah, force. I don't know what those are. That sounds weird. <laughs> and so she's probably on the very low kids. end of the spectrum. <laughs> but, but see, that was the thing going through the book and and listening to this. I I didn't see it as she had that connection. She had the midichlorians. I thought it was more of a a respect for the force, a respect for the Jedi. Um, I never got the feeling that, that she was on the low end of, I think she was one of those to where she, well, so low, she can't use it, but but yeah, it's still, yeah. yeah. But, but it was, it was more so of, you know, more of an academic, um, honoring and, and respect for the Jedi is how I got it Mm -hmm. for, for that, especially when 
when, and I know this is what we do on the podcast, we jump all over the place, but I think it was when Krennic came in and put all those kyber crystals in front of him, she was the one that was kind of looking at, you know, the size of them and then got the feeling that these were mined from lightsabers. Mm-hmm. I love I love that moment. I thought there was a darkness there. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, the Jedi are all dead. Yeah, and, um, and you know what? That that was that was a point in this book right now that you got a feeling of how bad the Jedi were eradicated at that time. Yeah. 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 One of the things we were kind of talking about it earlier. One of the things I really liked about this book is we often get stories in the Clone Wars or we've had a couple of stories that take place in between episode three and episode four. And we obviously have uh, episode four and post episode four stories. Mm -hmm. We've never had a book that bridges all those gaps. And so I, I, you know, we've often kind of heard or even talked about, you know, how Palpatine's part of Palpatine's plan with the Clone Wars is to uh, turn the Jedi from warriors of peace into warriors of war and use that to corrupt them and whittle down their numbers. It was, I thought the book did an amazing job at showing you how Palpatine does this to the rest of the galaxy as well. Mm-hmm. You have all these researchers who, you know, have worked for universities, have been doing all these types of projects who are brought into the war and, you know, just very naturally turned into people who are doing, you know, war research. Right. And then at the and same... it was just go ahead. Sorry. And the, I was going to say, and the same thing with, you know, how people begin to accept that, oh, well, you know, now that there's a war going on, we're going to have more security, there are rebels around. It was really interesting to see how everything Palpatine did with the Clone Wars, everything he orchestrated, ends with people changing. And uh, I don't want to even say he, uh, I'm trying to think what the right word is. We, we tend to think of, or uh, let me think how to phrase this. I think a lot of times when we talk about the Republic and the Empire, we tend to think of them as, uh, being largely separate entities, mm-hmm. I think this did a really good job of showing how it's really the same thing. They're the same uh, government and just transformed. Right. And, and transformed specifically by Palpatine. Yeah. And the other thing that I got out of the book, and I don't know if you guys got it too, but they were just like, okay, it was the separatists that had the plans to build the battle station, but it was the Republic in the end that ended up building it. And both. Oh, that's a really cool touch. Pardon? Sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish, but I want to jump in after. Okay, no, but but the thing the thing that got me is both sides were looking at the other side for building this major super weapon, and as I'm sitting here reading or listening to this book, I'm like, well, wait a minute, it was only one side building the super weapon, and it was it was mainly the Republic side that was building it, but each side thought the other was building that exact same super weapon, and in a roundabout way, the Separatists, because of Pogba the Lesser, did help in the construction of it. But it was the same weapon the other side thought the other side was building. That's the impression I got out of all this. Well, it could yeah. be said that because Palpatine was playing both sides and essentially controlling both sides. Exactly. It didn't matter. He's just like, well, it's going to be his one way or another. Right. So yeah. Frame it the right way. Right. That's that's one but, thing. I mean, there was the book Star Wars Death Star that kind of described how the Death Star was built a, a while ago. But um, I think this one did a much better job of kind of tying all the pieces together across, you know, what we see in the films and bringing these other characters. I mean, um, Stephen, you, you mentioned um, the different scientists, right? We actually get they actually pull in Lockdurd and re- reference Lockdurd and Nuvo Vindi and 
from the Clone Wars, and Dr. Gubacher, the scientist who upgraded D-Squad in the Clone Wars. And we get all these different like scientists involved, and of course, Galen and others, and nobody really knows exactly what they're working on. Um, with, you know, so it's like very, uh, very secretive. But we also get, um, we actually find out exactly how the Geonosians are involved. And why, as you said, Tom, how, why uh, Palpatine was able to um, to build this super weapon, right? Because it's it's kind of hard to just say, I want to. Inv- I mean, yes, he's the emperor, right? But it's kind of hard to just divert a bunch of resources toward building a galaxy destroying weapon, mm-hmm. uh, a weapon that can destroy a whole planet. But if he says, well, the separatists are building a weapon that can destroy a planet, clearly we have to build one as well, right? So that you know they can't. Um, just wipe us out. We have to be able to, you know, it's like with, you know, nuclear weapons or something. You, you want to have, you don't want the other side to get higher or more powerful than you. Otherwise, you just don't stand a chance. And that's I, how he's able to spin the whole thing. I love that touch. Because, you know, I, I never really thought about it. But we, at the end of episode three, we see the Death Star is already being built. And they seem to have made some decent progress on it. Mm-hmm. You're always like, as you start to think about it, it's like, well, why is the Republic, like, either this got built in like a day, mm-hmm. which is weird because... We know it's going to take them another, you know, sixty years, years to use it yeah. to to actually finish it, or it's already been construction for a while. Well, why would the Republic be doing that? And it's it's interesting to see that, yeah, this was all just another part of Palpatine using the war to his advantage. And and it was it was almost played like an arms race between the two, but mm-hmm. it was one sided. It was always mm-hmm. a one sided arms race when it came to building that Death Star. The, the one thing I thought was a little odd is they're building the Death Star without knowing about having a super laser yet, mm-hmm. which <laughs> yes. I don't actually mind because I, I totally buy the like, OK, we're going to build the Death Star, but we don't really know. Like, we know what's going to have turbo lasers. But we don't know everything that's going to be inside of it that I'm OK with. But they're actually building like pieces of the death, like the focusing dish, like because uh Later in the book, when Krennic is working on Genosis, he talks about them adding in pieces of the the sensor dish and the focusing mm-hmm. dish. And I was just like, "You're building something that you don't know, like you don't know it actually exists yet." Yeah, <laughs> I, like, mean, I, I guess I can kind of buy like, "Yeah, we know we're going to put in a big laser. We know we want it to be really big, but like they're assuming it's going to work like a normal laser. Like, ah, oh, yes, we can put in the power capacitors because obviously any laser has power capacitors. Like, no, you need the like the whole architecture before you have the rest okay i i i agree with you there steven i mean there are there are definitely things that you don't have to know early on and it sounds like to me they assumed that they knew how to build everything except get the power source right we just don't know how to get a battery that's small enough and powerful enough to to you know effectively the batteries you know i I guess that example but you also don't know, like, well, how much space is it going to need in the Death Star? Does it is it going to take up, you know, seventy or eighty percent of the interior, or is it like ten percent? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and so there is a lot of factors there, um, which are you know, which are unanswered. And sorry, uh, Sean, you have some thoughts here. The but the uh, we have to remember that this project was being uh, subtly directed by an evil future sensing space wizard. Uh, in Palpatine, so (laughs) (laughs) fair point, fair point (laughs) so, but uh, like he could have just, you know, sort of, he could have directed it, he just like, have have faith we'll we'll sort this out, don't worry about it Mm -hmm. right, and I guess there's nothing to say that like, maybe they they could have like put stuff together and realized, oh, darn it we did did this wrong, and they go back and disassemble (laughs) things or Mm -hmm. start from scratch and you know, because we do see multiple um, 
I remember in the honorable ones, we see uh, a bunch of debris around Geonosis uh, from the construction of the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like I was wondering if it you know, showed up in uh, Clone Wars. I couldn't remember. Oh, sorry. This is in Rebels. Remember in the oh, in the, so did I say Clone Wars about Rebels in the oh, honorable ones? Maybe I was ones? thinking. Oh, actually, uh, sorry. I know what I was thinking Clone Wars. In uh, Clone Wars, that we had a set of episodes around Geonosis. We, I believe, the book yeah. actually makes a mention of the Republic assault for landing at Point Rain. Mm-hmm. But later on, I guess it was part of the same trilogy. Is when uh, is it Barris goes gets mind controlled? Oh, it's, the the I'm, the brain invaders. The brain are. invaders. Yeah. yeah. Does that does that all take place before the Death Star begins getting built? Or yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so because the way I understood it, you know, uh, the Genosians start work on the plans, and um, meanwhile, so like meanwhile, Tarkin is coming up with his own idea for a Death Star, while the Genosians are working on something, mm-hmm. and then they kind of put the projects together when Count Dooku steals, takes the plans from Paga the Lesser at the end of Attack of the Clones, and brings them to Sidious, and then it's like the the Republic has now stolen the plans for the Death Star. And now they're trying to build their own, and then they're in this arms race against the um, uh, against the the separatists. The separatists. Yeah. Did, and Tarkin uh, was talking about building it in, uh, in like an asteroid, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Because so. I remember that, and uh, I don't know if you caught it. That's I believe a reference to what was called in the uh, old Oops. EU the Eye of Tarkin, or sorry, right. the Eye of Palpatine. Yeah. Which is goes back to. Uh, I think it was Children of the Jedi, one of the early Bantam novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, right. all of the super weapons in the old EU are kind of oh, the yeah. same thing in my but, head. But it, it kind of makes sense if it's like it's all part of like one master idea or master project, and they're just like you know, um, kind of building them out separately in in, in many ways. Um, but then, but then we find out that okay, so the the um, they built the, the the Republic took the Death Star plans. They then uh, eventually win the war, right? And they go back to Geonosis, and well, they started building it during the war. I thought, uh, yeah, I th- yeah, yeah. So. There's the whole thing with Poggle because Poggle's actually killed on Mustafar by Anakin. Right. You're right. You're right. So Which, this is during the war. Yeah, yeah. it's during. So we haven't really completely about- fascinating to me. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about Krennic yet, who is yeah. obviously uh, at this point in the novel, he is, I believe, just uh, is he? I think he starts as commander. Krennic. Lieutenant commander is a lieutenant commander. Okay, so he starts as lieutenant commander, but we know from the movie he's going to eventually grow up to director. And I loved watching Krennic kind of maneuver his way from being this kind of unimportant member of the uh, strategic advisory cell, which is the group that Mass Amita and Palpatine put together to oversee the construction on the Death Star, into uh, first kind of the person responsible for putting the Death Star super laser together. And eventually into obviously the he's angling to become the commander of the entire battle station. Mm-hmm. Right. I loved Krennic's character in this book. Mm-hmm. I found him. He was like uh, he he was he was almost as like man- manipulative as Palpatine, but like this this guy who's like not important at all, who's like trying to you know gain this power and use his friendship with this brilliant scientist from basically like back in college to um, to kind of put himself in the front and you see like there's that scene where he's he's sitting in the back of the room going one day i'll be in the front mm-hmm. and eventually he does make it to the front of that room with the important people and 
So I'm going to say this kind of jokingly, but he reminded me of like the quintessential business major in college. He's <laughs> not necessarily the kind of brightest bulb in the box, but he's really good at reading people and getting other people to do his work for him. Send your comments he, to... He, he always has the plan, but never any of the execution. Yeah, and we see... People uh, anyone who's listening to this as a business major, yes, I apologize. <laughs> but... It was just—it was fascinating to watch him work. This kind of long-term plan of okay, I know Galen is the is smart enough to put this weapon together. I just need to, but I know I can't get—I can't force him to do it. I can't uh, ask him to do it. I have to like manipulate him into doing this over, you know, a five-year set of. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was like five years, but like this very long term. Steven, I think the, I think there's a there's a PM joke in there somewhere. There but, is certainly uh, a PM joke here. <laughs> but, um, uh, but but the but you're, you're totally right. I, I, and and Krennic does he, he he doesn't actually have all the pieces. He's just good at bringing the right people together mm-hmm. to get stuff done. Well, it mm-hmm. it was almost it was almost he was uh it, it was a it was a shoot on putting everything together because it seemed like he he knew where he wanted to go. But like you said, it was the proper pieces, and I, I think it was even it was mentioned in the book that, and I'm going to paraphrase this and probably summarize it. He was not smart enough when he was with Galen at at that university to be kind of like the scientist, but he was great at bringing the proper people together. He was a great manager, and could see mm-hmm. the talent in people, and bring them together for the ultimate goal. And and especially when it came to Krennic, like I, I was listening to this book. The web that he started out with Galen was so wide, especially coming in and rescuing him from the planet and mm-hmm. bringing them back to the Republic. It was so wide that it was like that one little piece that put Galen in his debt. And then later there was another little piece that Krennic did that brought him further into his debt. Mm-hmm. And then there was the the enticement of, I'm going to give you this big research facility. you know. And it was all the stuff but- where you could just get everything just just – slowly bringing him into this web that Galen couldn't get out of. And, and that was the thing I got out of Krennic was he was a master manipulator to get what he wanted and to get him further into the status point to where he could be within this big circle of scientists down at the front row. And like Palpatine, he played the long game. Yes. Oh yeah. He was willing to wait years. Um, Well, the part, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah, go ahead, John. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would be enthusiastic about Krennic. Kind of since the first trailer, when we saw him uh, in that cape, looking really, really cool, um, and I, I was kind of nervous about him coming into this book, um, but he met all my expectations. What a magnificent character! Mm-hmm. I particularly loved his, um, the whole facade he put on for Galen, uh, like basically having this big fake office uh, to convince him. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, I, uh, one thing I love that Krennic did is it wasn't just the kind of gathering debt from Galen and kind of putting him in a position where he owed him one. My favorite was the like he encouraged Galen to take a job that he knew Galen would hate. Yes, below was, below his status. Yes, it was it was the type of thing like everyone would. I feel like anyone would be there. Like you get put into a job where your boss hates you, and you feel like you can do it better, but you're not allowed to like, that just makes it so easy. I felt to yeah. just like, you know what, if I were in Galen's position, like, yeah, I would jump at the ability to take my own facility at that point. Yeah. 
Well, he, he put him at a massive risk with that as well. That was the same job where at the end of the Clone Wars, wasn't it? Yeah, where yes, it was. Battle droids attacked, and they were basically just about to die uh, when the Clone Wars came to an end. Yeah, yeah, you're you're totally right, and and so I think that's why I loved Krennic so much. You just get to see how he's probably one of my favorite characters in the book, and probably in Rogue One in general right now. Uh, based on just you know what, you know what we've seen in the, in the previews and stuff, mm-hmm. and not just because he looks cool in a cape. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I definitely the way the way he gives him the job, the way he tries to help and be by his side the whole time, very much reminds me of Palpatine, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, it was he, he's great. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else to say other than uh, mm-hmm. I, I loved I loved Krennic and, and the way that. Uh, he, it was kind of funny because when we first saw kind of hints of him in the movie, I know I at least was one of the people who was like, I wonder if this is going to be like the reimagining of Thrawn. And then yeah. we got no, more trailers and got actual that. Thrawn. I was like, no, he's not really. Yeah. But I, I like that he's the same sort of, uh, I don't know, they they belong to the same group, I would say, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. They they think the same way. Mm-hmm. Patient supervillains. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, exactly. That in, yeah. that in this case, he does play the the long game, but not the really long game. But he's a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. Now, another character that I liked in this, I actually liked Galen's wife, Lara, because she was almost he he basically used her as, as it started off. He was using her basically to translate his notes because how he scribbles and, and and how he thinks up his concepts, they're just all over. And then you get the feeling that she's almost like his right hand man. But as as the book slowly goes on you kind of get the point that she was almost his conscience that to a certain extent she'll, she'll say a couple things and kind of uh, pull him back. And, and toward the end of the book, that, that kind of comes more to a revelation. It was like, okay, you know, her worries and all this, she would go along with a lot of his stuff, even though she was hesitant. But I, I liked, I liked how she progressed in the book. That was, I, I think feel like it's kind of rare for us to actually, partly because of how long the time period the book takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really got to see a an interesting development in Galen and Lyra's relationship. Yes. Uh, you know, they start mm-hmm. off, of course, very close. They're separated uh, on vaults, mm-hmm. and as they come what? back together, they're they're working together to raise Jin. And then as Galen gets more and more pulled into his work, they start to kind of have issues. And you know, obviously, by the end of the book, they're they're able to reconcile and bring everything back together but it was i can't think of many star wars books where we've actually kind of gotten the more i call it a more realistic kind of set of relationships Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. even in the middle of the book krennic actually set her up to get her away to where he could take more time to manipulate uh uh, galen because he sent her Mm -hmm. almost on like a a, i wouldn't say a wild goose chase but he sent her on a chase to a different planet to go and because she the, the way i saw it was she was more of like the I'm not going to put her in the Indiana Jones type of thing, but she was more of the archaeologist to where she would go. And he's like, okay, there's a planet over here where you could find some crystals go. And she ended up finding they weren't Kyber crystals, but they were like a, a branch of a Kyber crystal. I can't remember it offhand, but she spent a couple months there the whole time. You've got Galen being manipulated by Krennic on the side. He wanted to get mm-hmm. her out of there. And it was interesting watching how, uh, Lyra becomes more and more suspicious yep. of Krennic as Galen becomes more and more kind of enamored with him, I guess is the right word. But 
And then watching them come back together, of course, at the very end was really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, she had the kind of woman's intuition about Orson. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was to, basically back and forth uh, between. Them. It was like, Orson's a good guy. He's like, no, mm-hmm. he's not. To be fair, I think most people, not Galen, would have probably realized that earlier. Uh-huh. Yes. But, but, but uh, Galen is very much portrayed as the, in some ways, the, the very... Uh, he, he, he's, he's well-meaning, he, he's a very good guy at heart, but he's kind of the crazy scientist as well, right? Mm-hmm. He's so brilliant that he's not really connected with what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. And really the only person that can connect with him the only person is Lyra. Right. And to some extent, Krennic, because they became friends and Krennic kind of tried to help him along. And so they kind of developed a, a, a relationship there as well. But, you know, I think it's, it's mentioned at one point that the fact that uh, Krennic, uh, Lyra and Galen are even together was a surprise to, to most people because Galen was just so aloof and uh, disinterested and uh, completely focused on his work and like he's always i think someone said earlier he's like constantly scribbling things down he's mm-hmm. very much like um uh, his his very, mind's working it, all the time that he really can't get the stuff out in a um oh god in in a logical manner that exactly. Lara's the one Lara's the one that's there that kind of looks at his notes and can actually make uh sense out of it and right. present it yeah, and so they kind yeah. of give us a backstory to how Galen and and, and Lear meet and how she's able to kind of like um, help him make more sense of the world in many ways where he uh, he normally wouldn't be able to. How she's actually one who translates a lot of his his uh, writings into something more something that other people, normal people, can actually consume mm-hmm. um, and, and that sort of thing. To be honest, though, I I think Galen was probably my least. I didn't really like his characterization. He felt a lot like a movie character, which is obviously what he is, but the, <laughs> like, the uh, almost, like, Rain Man-esque approach, I thought was just, it felt too much like a movie character. Huh. Everyone else felt kind of real. Galen yeah. kind of felt almost two-dimensional to me. Interesting. The, just the, the brilliant oh. go, ahead, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. Oh, he would have been properly uh, two-dimensional without Lyra, I think. He, I think she added so much to him. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, and we find out that the two are basically pacifists. So the whole time, uh, Galen doesn't—he he doesn't want to work for either side in the war. He kind of—he kind of wants to do his own thing. So he works for a company that's completely on the edge of the galaxy, far away from the conflict, just doing you know energy research and sustainable growth for colonies. And mm-hmm. Lyra was an basically like an archaeologist and a galactic traveler. And we get some fun like details that kind of explore the expand the galaxy as well about, you know, we find out how many different wonders there are in, in the core and the mid room and the outer room kind of like we have in, in our real world. And actually that's one thing I really liked about what Lucino did is he, he um, kind of gave us more information about how the galaxy works. Like they have different wonders of the world. They have these worlds called um, legacy, worlds, <laughs> yeah. legacy worlds that are, um, you know, uh, you know, supposed to be protected, um, and, and so that you know that was kind of interesting. We got more details about the Star Wars galaxy that we haven't had before, like that. Yeah. Um. Uh, until their planet gets, uh, they're on the planet Vault. Until their planet gets, um, attacked. Yeah. Well, actually, first, at first, they're, I think they're they're kidnapped, right? Yeah, they're uh, kidnapped. So the planet is. Uh, the current leaders were working with Zerpin on some planetary power, 
which is the company that Galen and Lyra work for. And then the separatists take over. They want to nationalize all the kind of stuff that's going on. And so, you know, that obviously happens. And uh, so they're captured by... I, they're separatist leaning, but they're not really separatists. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then the Republic comes and rescues Galen and Lyra, blows up the town with all the separatists, reconquers the planet, and so on. It was very interesting. Um, the other character we haven't really talked about yet is uh, Haas Obit, who is the smuggler that Krennic co-ops during the Clone Wars to help rescue Galen and Lyra, and then kind of keeps crossing paths with Krennic and everyone else throughout the mo- rest of the novel. Mm-hmm. And that that's another character that when you when you listen to this was unwill unwittingly willingly brought into this. Mm-hmm. And again, manipulated. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, your, your everyone's thoughts here on, on Haas, because uh, of all the characters, I think he was probably my least favorite. Um, I would also agree. I had a lot of trouble reading some of his chapters. Yeah, I, I feel like he was there purely to. Um, I don't know. They they needed someone to help rescue Lyra at, at one point. They needed someone to uh, kind of go around and um, uh, basically well, we'll get into this later but how, how allow the Empire to kind of take over these legacy worlds and there's they kind of used him for a bunch of different random things just to kind of tie up all the, the plot threads and I never really got attached to Haas person uh, I got it no I see what yeah. you're saying on that respect because again for for me it was like I since I listened to the audio book I actually had an actor portrayal of that character Mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. i didn't get that i liked the character because I, I i would say probably because of the actor portrayal because he sounded more like let's say i'm not going to say by way of a han solo respect more of like i'm gonna i'm gonna age the guy probably somewhere in his 50s or 60s but he was unwilling un, he was he was like you said he was manipulated and because he was set up to make these drops i mean they originally brought him in and said, look, um, he had another guy he worked with that also worked with Krennic to go in and kidnap these scientists from a planet. Okay. Right. And they go in there and, and it wasn't nobody, if I remember correct, the line was when they go in there, they get these scientists off this planet. The stuff that he normally delivers and he he's very well known on this planet. He takes it in. He delivers it. The scientists are happy about it. Then all of a sudden there's something that comes up that says, wait a minute, this isn't on the manifest. Then Krennic's men with Krennic um, basically uh, overpower these guys. They put them inside the crates that delivered this. And then they basically at, at a certain point, because one of the scientists was too big, Krennic says, we'll fold him in there. And then that's when Haas goes... I thought nobody was going to get hurt, and you knew at that point, well, you know something? You are now stuck with this. You are an unwilling participant in this, and Krennic at this point has you by the you-know-whats, and you're basically in debt for him for the rest of this. Mm -hmm. And, of course, nobody gets hurt. Yeah, right. As they're leaving, since there is a big battle going on in the bay, what does he do? He uses one of the, the... crates with the scientists in it well it just so happens to have explosives in it and that was able for them to use that crate and instead of the three scientists they have two of them and are those the two scientists they use to actually get galen off vault 
Yes, okay. I believe so. Okay, that's yeah, what I thought. Uh, swap, don't they? Yes, it was a swap. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. long story short, I feel sorry for Haas, but I guess in in my respect for listening to it, I didn't see him that one dimen or two dimensional, and it's probably because of the voice acting and because it was a portrayal of the character instead of reading it. Well, what? I, I didn't you... actually. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, God. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, so Haas was kind of like. The, the working man of the novel. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really anything special. Uh, he was the working Dresselian. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, that, it's just it always interesting to see things from their perspective. Like he just wanted to get along with his life and yep. it's dragged into all this mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I did like that part of it. He, he's like the average guy who's watching all of these brilliant scientists and uh, military leaders and stuff fight over you know, uh, basically how to, how to build this, this Death Star. And he's kind of watching from, you know, below looking up at them. Um, the, the thing I just thought was odd was that, you know, he was the, he was the guy who has to go rescue Galen and, uh, and Lyra. And then later on, he's, can, he's basically manipulated the, so Krennic wants to, uh, was it Krennic or, or Tarkin? I believe it was Krennic wants to like take over these, uh, legendary worlds for, um, uh, uh, sorry, not legendary <laughs> legacy worlds legacy. Um, <laughs> for um, uh, for their resources, right? And the Empire technically can't touch them. And so what they did instead was um, they basically convinced uh, or, or forced Haas to. Um, they didn't to, force to him. These... They paid him a lot yeah, of money they, to they do it. Well, they did. They he, he, didn't know was, he didn't know what was happening at, at right. the time, right? They they basically paid him to like smuggle arms onto a planet and all of a sudden the empire's like ah there this planet's trying to rebel they just they just bought all these uh all these weapons we're now we're gonna have to take them out we're gonna have to occupy the planet oh now we're occupying the planet i guess we'll just take all the resources you know that kind of thing and they did this multiple times and eventually Haas got a conscience and actually and this is what i think was 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 really cool he teams up with uh a few um well so he's supposed to deliver arms to the salient system um which I actually I, I enjoyed that the, the the name salient system only because one of my um, uh, my my senior project team was called salient systems in in college oh, <laughs> I had, oh, had no funny. idea it was you know eventually gonna be salient system in, in Star Wars um, exactly exactly um, but they he, he kind of gets a conscience he's like I don't want to do this I see what's happening and so he ends up teaming up with a rebel from Onderon, Saw Gerrera. Which is um, very cool. Yeah, that was very, very cool. cool. You know, because now we see, we actually get a lot more details about Saw. Right? We find out he's a, he's a family friend, basically, of the Ursos. And he, Gerrera plays a, uh, a much larger role in the book than I was expecting. Were you guys surprised by how much Saw does? Uh, uh, go ahead. I, so if we're going to talk about Saw, I wanted... That's a that's a big topic because the, the thing I thought was really interesting is this gives a some interesting insight into Saw's position in uh, Rogue One. So I don't know about you guys. So before, when I saw the trailers, I originally expected Saw to be kind of a. I was I'm, I mean I haven't seen any of the movie. I don't know anything about it. I expected it to kind of be a um, kind of like a dirt maybe like a dirty dozen sort of film where mm. Jin has to kind of go around and recruit all these various uh, rebels in order to steal the Death Star plans or, you know, whatever they're going to do. Um, and so I expected Saul was just going to be another one of those people. And instead, I think I'm, after the novel, 
I'm feeling much more like Saw is kind of the Obi-Wan Kenobi. He helps Jin, Galen, and Lyra get to a safe planet. And then I kind of imagine him being sticking around, being good friends, mm-hmm. uh, maybe keeping an eye on them. Which, like, I, you know, I expected Jin would not know Saw at the beginning of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's actually gonna be like a family friend at exa- this point. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of how I'm picturing him now. It was it was one of the big moments in the in the novel that's like this. Comp- this is gonna change what I'm expecting going into the film, which I, is exactly what I think the novel needed to do to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Saw like I mean Saw even helps uh, Galen and Lyra escape Coruscant at the at the end of the book, and so like he plays a very very big role. Uh, and we kind of get more insight into his character mm-hmm. and and that sort of thing. So, uh, I'm 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 excited. I, I loved his his inclusion here. And, and there's another character that plays into this, Tarkin. Tarkin plays into this, I think, toward toward the end because, in in, in an indirect way, because Tarkin ends up using Haas. We're gonna go back to him mm-hmm. to. <laughs> Well, well, because, bringing us back. Well, yeah. Well, no. We're, we're, I'm, well, because it also because it also ties into Saw Gerrera, right. because Tarkin Tarkin kind of figured out that you know Krennic's Krennic's doing something, so he was actually able to bring Haas and say, "Look, you know, I'm going to basically use you as a double agent in a roundabout way." Okay, because basically Tarkin is going to start setting up. Uh, he's going to start setting up Krennic. And that's how it ties into Saw Gerrera because in a way it was, if I remember, if I absolutely remember correct, it was um, Krennic who thought Haas was going to Coruscant to get Jin, Galen, and uh, Lyra off planet. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it was Saw Gerrera who did it. Right. Yeah, there, was, there was a nice fake uh, out there at the end. Of the yeah, that, 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 that was that was great. But but then that, that that's for for me as listening to this, that's where it's kind of like it ended up. The novel felt like it ended up abruptly at that point where it just that's how it just yeah. ended. Well, but, so before we get to that, though, I want to. Yeah, I know. About we're jumping too. all over the place because <laughs> I loved the inclusion of Tarkin here. He's not yet like so this is Tarkin in the middle of uh, when we were read the book Tarkin. Um, he's not yet in command of Sentinel Base. That actually happens at the end of the novel. Um, he's become a moth, so he's obviously popular with Palpatine, but he's not going to be the one in command of the Death Star yet. Nope. And I I loved seeing the kind of competition between Tarkin and Krennic over, you know, they both know they want to each be the uh, the next person to control the Death Star, but neither of them are really in a position to do it yet. They're not senior enough. They don't have the clout yet with Palpatine. And so a lot of the book is the two of them kind of, trying to figure out what they can do to kind of knock the other one down without being too obvious about it. The kind of political infighting that we know the Empire is going to be much more interested in. Um, you know, there's the scene in episode four where, you know, they're, the Mahdi and everyone are kind of arguing about, well, this is dangerous to a Starfleet, not to a battle station. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, the Senate's been dissolved. All of this political infighting is the kind of, we're starting, we're seeing a piece of it here with these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole mission on sound, I love the credit kind of could tell that uh, Haas was kind of getting tired of being an errand boy. Mm-hmm. And he used this as an opportunity to set up Tarkin and put him into a scenario where, you know, he's like, oh, well, 
if the planet rebels, Tarkin, instead of backing away gracefully, we kn- I know Tarkin's going to just go in full bore, because this is Tarkin. This is what he always does. And it, it just, it was a very, very cool uh, way of developing these two characters. Yeah, and we, and we find out that, you know, uh, Tarkin is content to kind of sit behind the scenes and gain his influence and power, but not, he doesn't have to quite take over the um, ownership of of the project just yet because he knows, like, you know, he, he can let Krennic do it for now and then put all the blame on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there's definitely this, this back and forth going on. We know the Death Star takes you know, 19 years plus to get to be built, right? If you include the Clone Wars, it was 22 years to build the this Death Star. And so one of the big questions that this book kind of answers, not not completely, but kind of is, why did it take so long, right? Especially if they, if they knew by the end of the Clone Wars and even, you know, five years after the Clone Wars, roughly, if they knew most of the big pieces. And Galen has already had his big break, scientific breakthrough, right? And they've, They've been managed to harness all the power of the, or, or much of the power of the, of the kyber crystals. Um, why the, does it still take so much longer? The thing I think is going to be interesting is from the trailers in Rogue One, there's a scene where we see, I think, the scene where Galen is found by the Empire and is taken away. Mm-hmm. And it's implied that Jin is still fairly young. I, I feel mm-hmm. like she wasn't that yeah. much older than she was at the end of the novel. And so I think the open question I have is, it still seems like the uh, construction of the Death Star, that, like if they have Galen pretty much at the end of this book, we've still got another like 10, 15 years until we know it's going to be operational. I wonder if, Ro- I expect Rogue One will kind of explain part of why it's taking so long. Well, I, I think it's exactly the case, right? Because we, we, see, we see Galen and Lyra finally decide to leave Coruscant and leave the, the project and, and go off by themselves and they, they travel to the planet Lamu. Um, this very Is the name of the planet, planet in the actual uh, in the book. I didn't see it when I was reading it. Uh, Maybe I, I just I'm pretty sure it is. I know the name of the rainy planet was revealed in I'm almost positive. Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, they, they do mention it in the book. Okay. Um, I can go double check, but I'm like 99% sure. Um, but they go to Lamu, which is what the planet we will support presumably see at the beginning of Rogue One. That's the rainy planet and all the trailers where Krennic comes and, and takes um, Galen again. So it sounds like, you know, he, he escapes. This time Krennic comes and somehow is able to force Krennic to, oh, sorry, uh, Krennic is able to somehow force Galen to continue working on the project, even though that Galen actually knows how dangerous it is. Okay, here's... Uh, and so that's the part that, that Rogue One's going to have to answer, but I think there's a, there's a period of time, and this is what's not quite clear, from between, you know... We, at the end of the book, when when Jin is a you know, how old is she at the end of the book? It's like between three and five. five. Or six. Oh, five yeah, or six. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, somewhere and, in and between maybe you know, I don't know how old she is in um, uh, in uh, at the beginning of Rogue One. Probably mm-hmm. about the same age, maybe eight or nine. I don't know. Uh, we find out that in um, uh, we find out that in uh, in Rogue One. She is she's on her own from the age of what's fifteen or sixteen. Um, so okay, but but uh, here's here's a question. There's there's definitely some time in there. Maybe it's like maybe her her father gets captured and then Lyra gets taken later or something. I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing right now that I'm looking forward to see being answered in Rogue One. 
I was almost under the impression watching all the trailers that Lyra doesn't make it. Okay. But at uh-huh. the, and I thought it was going to be in this book because the way I saw or, or I <clears throat> heard the book being read that at some point Lyra, especially when she was on her mining expedition, that Krennic was going to remove her out of the picture because Krennic had, you know, uh-huh. his feelings that, you know, she's, she's getting, she's on to me. Okay. I'm going to have to do something about her at a certain point. I thought that somewhere at the end of the book, because you see on the trailer that Jen is by herself at that point where he says, you know, Galen says, I need you to hide when Galen finally gets taken away, that what's going to happen to Lyra at this point? The end of the book, she survives, just like Haas, just like, you know, we know Saw Guerrero, we see him in the trailer. So, you know, there's things at the end of this book that are set up perfectly for Rogue One that I hope there's some kind of answer, especially what happens to Lyra. I, I assumed that Lyra was killed when, or will be killed when Galen is taken. Um, and I, I, my theory is that that Krennic will use Jin as to to uh, to convince Galen, as in he'll say he'll threaten to taunt her down and kill her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's exactly what he's going to do. And I think he probably takes Galen probably takes Galen at the end of Rogue, at the beginning of Rogue One and says, "I'm going to kill Lyra if you don't work for me." Um, something happens, and we know Lyra probably d- disappears from the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a decade later, by the time, or you know, five five. Five ten years later, by the time that, um, uh, by the time of Jin's probably what fifteen or sixteen, because that's when she's on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, I, I I do think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, but we'll see. That's... On her own or with Saw Gerrera. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, that's true. Maybe yeah, maybe maybe. Oh, maybe yeah. Maybe a total badass at some point. That's true. Or or maybe. I mean, I think we see in the trailers that Saw goes from he has like a I think there's like a younger version of Saw and an older version of Saw, mm. right? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, like short yeah, hair, long hair. And one one was bald. Has, he has like I think in one version he has like he has legs and another one he has like a a, a, a fake leg or mm. something. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be that he is injured as well or killed. So maybe maybe she lives with Saw for a while. That's yeah. a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, but, we'll know in a couple days, but wow, I mean, this is, you know. <laughs> yeah, Tom, well, no Tom, to your point, though, I I also felt oh, like yes. the book kind of ended abruptly. Yeah. But I think that's because the the conclusion of this book really is Rogue One. Yeah, and, exactly. and I and that's that's exactly, exactly when I, I sat there and thought about it after, just like, boom. It's like, well, all these questions, and I know there's probably going to be some open threads because it always happens, but a lot of these questions are going to be answered in Rogue One, and that's why they they really pressed a lot. You've got to read this book because yeah, I think I think honestly, I think James Lucino could not go any further, and he was like, "Stop oh, here," because the next scene is probably the beginning of Rogue One. <laughs> probably, you know, probably. Because um, I I think the rumor is that there's like I think we get Jin at three different ages, two or three. I think I think it's three, and not just two. Uh, and so we'll probably pick up right after the book, and then a little bit later, and then eventually we're we see her uh, in, in the in the film itself. Uh, you did though, Tom. You mentioned a, a very important uh, a very important point. I did. Uh, Just or kidding, Stephen. Uh, and that was um, how Krennic and Lyra's relationship later in the book. I mean, mm-hmm. earlier in the book, Krennic sends her off on a uh, well. First, he you know he makes sure they're both rescued right from 
um, <clears throat> from the, the, the planet. They clear their name. He then treats them very well. He puts them up. They build this whole research uh, facility um, on in the Bencoran Refuge on Coruscant, which is a fascinating. Like, there's actually a part of Coruscant that's not it's undisturbed and untouched, and they basically kick the Bencoran out and uh, and build uh, the, the research facility there. And then, as we go on, you know, Krennic sends Lyra to uh, off on her own little research mission to kind of like get her out of the way. To, uh, so he can focus on Krennic, and mm-hmm. you know that's when he um, he, he kind of uh, he, he goes around and shows Galen these destroyed cities as well, and tries to convince him about how bad things are in the galaxy, and kind of starts to convert Galen, even though Galen still wants peace. Um, but uh, the uh, the big moment is when they get back, and I think someone earlier mentioned that there's like this. Lyra and, and Galen's relationship is not the same after they get back. Galen is more distant. Yeah. He doesn't share as much with her. He kind of tries to keep her away because Galen tells her, tell, tell, tells him, you can't tell Lyra what's going on um, for her own safety. Uh, and so he doesn't, and they kind of start, they start to have this, um, uh, this gap between them. Um, and that's when I think Krennic probably makes the biggest mistake in the book. He approaches Lyra in the middle of, uh, I think, a park on Coruscant and basically threatens her, which was a very interesting scene. Um, I, did you guys have any 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 thoughts on this this whole moment where, where Krennic effectively threatens Lyra and kind of changes it, Lyra's whole outlook? It was definitely his biggest mistake in the novel. I think he was expecting that if he threatened her, that would help ensure that Galen would continue being able to work, and it obviously backfired horribly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I, I think he was probably trying to even push them to the point where they are separated. Um, oh, he tried. Be together. He really tried. And I think this was kind of an element trying to do that, where Lyra becomes increasingly distrustful of him, and he knows Galen's kind of in his pocket right now. And if he keeps using that as kind of a wedge, maybe he can actually drive them apart and you know kind of get Galen to himself. Um, but in the end, I think I love the scene where, uh, Galen is working on his research and Jen is there playing with her, uh, with one of the, uh, shows she watches. And that moment where he realizes like, you know what? I have been an awful, awful father and I need to change this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think that, that was the moment where Krennic really lost Galen. Definitely. That, that, that is the moment where he realized, what have I done? I'm losing my family i'm you know uh I, i'm working on this thing that's it's it's much more dangerous than it was ever told because what the big thing is credit constantly hides the true nature of the project from galen for the longest time you know he tells all oh, you're working on you know um uh how to you know get energy for planets that, that that need them and you know reusable energy and all this kind of stuff when it's actually uh, you know the this source of the primary source of power for the super weapon, and, uh, and and so when he tries to go after uh, Lyra, and Lyra's like, no, this is not. I'm you know you you will not threaten me. The two actually finally partner together once more, and they they kind of share everything. They compare notes. They figure out exactly what Galen uh, what what Galen's actually been working on, and that's when they you know confront Krennic, and then eventually they decide, you know what, we need to. We need to escape Coruscant. We need to get out of here. 
Uh, and that's the whole moment we were talking about earlier with Haas coming to Coruscant. And Krennic thinks it's Haas who's going to go pick them up. So he goes, you know, now now like everyone knows what's going on. So Krennic's like, oh, I got to go stop them. He he goes to meet Haas thinking that uh, the, the Ursos are going to be there. And instead, they're over with um, Saw Gerrera. And uh, Galen even destroys some of his research so that, you know, they, they can't... Um, follow up on it they can't yeah. continue yeah and, and so that that whole scene at the very end the was was i, I really enjoyed it quite a bit uh, of course as part of the deal krennic actually gets demoted he gets promoted he's, he's able to uh early on he's able to get a promotion out of the deal and then he gets demoted so at some point again he's going to get a promotion mm-hmm. Maybe, he's gonna get a couple if he's going to get all the way up to the director yeah although Probably director after... isn't a military rank right it's so uh, well, but neither is Grand Moff, so no, they, no. it's they may be a, considered a promotion in in universe. Yeah, in in the Imperial universe, probably. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, the, the the whole scene was 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 fascinating to me for sure. What did you guys think of uh the of the way that they split it out? We we learned some of the more more details, right? We get there's Project Celestial Power. Which is what Krennic, uh, sorry, Galen is working on, and I love that the logo is even basically a Death Star before anyone knew what the Death Star looked like. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I didn't even see, realize they talked about the. Yeah, logo, they right? said it's a, basically like a circle with another circle inside, like set like up into the right or something or whatever it was. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's that's the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, uh, stuff, but, uh, Talk about telegraphing well, knows, the building, right? Yeah, but we also found out about some of the other projects too, Stellar Sphere, Marks Omega, Pax Aurora, and how like each project is, they have their own, I think you were you were mentioning Sean earlier, they have their own offices, they have uh, different research bases on, on various planets with different scientists, and nobody actually knows what everyone's working on. It's all very top secret. But the, the one thing I also found fascinating, um, there, there happens in some cases these research facilities happen to kind of disappear. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the, there's one to where um, Hypori, uh, you know, and I guess this was a planet that was featured in the. I love in, that. Yes. I know. And, and yeah, yeah, and there, there was there was a spectacular explosion there. No, yeah. not on Hypori. That was a uh, Malpaz, wasn't it? Malpaz. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, actually, Malpaz so, is the one where Hypori, that, uh... I believe was. I believe everyone on Hypori was killed. They just shut well, down the base. Well, something like because that. there was that scientist who was reaching out to Galen. Uh, and, she said it twice. And, yeah, and so they they shut down the facility on Hypori. Mm-hmm. But on Malpaz, that's the one that actually they they. I think probably Stephen, you probably remember better. Remember better. They uh, did a test fire and it exploded. Yeah. Or something? Yeah, that was what happened on Malpaz. Okay. I was like, I, I actually. Mixed up. On Hypori, I was not sure if the all the workers there were killed. It's kind of implied by the end of the novel, but I kind of picture like Krennic's like, yes, make sure they're all permanently re- relocated. And then the stormtroopers go and shoot them. I was like, no, 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 no. I meant like, <laughs> move, no, reload it. That means move them to a new place. It does not. Mean, <laughs> uh, okay, fine. Well, I'll go find some other ones. But it did, it, did <laughs> sound, it did sound like there was fatalities on that planet. Maybe yeah. some of the but scientists it's, it's definitely, were well, the scientists, the yeah. scientists disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, that's no, definitely what. Like, <laughs> that's the message I think we're supposed to get. I just I wish Krennic was a little more explicit about it because it just it it was like I felt like that entire thread was a little too nebulous for me to really feel like I bought it. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
I did love the inclusion of Hypori though, because you know Hypori, uh, if, if you guys remember in the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars series, that's the planet ah, where we first meet from. where we first meet General Grievous. Nice. We have Sha'a guy and you know uh you they're mean all like shaggy shivering. guy shaggy exactly. from shaggy. 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 shaggy jedi yep. yeah yeah uh shaggy from scooby-doo looks exactly like him um but that's that's the scene where like all the all the jedi are are hiding in in the in the abandoned ship and and grievous comes and basically wipes everyone out so i i love the I love all the little details and the, the things so, that they add, all the references to... Speaking of that, there's a part in the novel where uh, Lyra is approached by a set of uh, Rin, uh-huh. which is a species that I believe is only really featured in the Yuuzhan Vong War. Um, one yeah. of Hanzo's new companion after Chewbacca dies for you know a couple of books is a Rin. Uh, and I don't think it's I... been mentioned since. All right. Another fun one, the, the Death Star. This isn't necessarily a reference to uh something uh, previous but I, it's uh, i don't think but there's a the first we found out that the first test firing of the death star uh takes place at a black hole binary called Tw- hero twins which is i wonder a reference to luke and leia in in the future like you know obviously not an in-universe reference but uh if a wink and a nod for those of you who are you know us who are reading it like oh they they f- test fire the death star for the first time at hero twins and of course it's the the hero twins that come back and save the galaxy uh, from the Empire later on. Interesting. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Uh, Lucino does is unintentional. No. It's, and that's why I love... too tasty. And that's I, why I love Lucino's writing. He's, he's, he's probably my favorite Star Wars author. He's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. 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 And um, so just kind of getting a little more meta for a moment, we've kind of talked about how we haven't been always impressed with a lot of the uh, new novels that have come out. Um, this one I felt did an amazing job at telling the story they wanted to tell. It's probably, it might be my favorite novel they've released thus far. I, I totally agree with you there. I think and I might have like liked Bloodline a little bit more, but. Oh, but there's, oh, there's Bloodline too. Man, there's too many good ones. There, um, <laughs> well, or, or there's, there's, or I went by when I mean, too many good ones. There's Bloodline and there's really good ones. <laughs> well, but yeah. <laughs> No. Dark, I like Dark Apprentice. I thought Dark Apprentice I, was a good book. No, there were there were there are lots of book, good books in the new canon. I want to I want to yeah. be clear. Uh, my two favorites though are definitely Bloodline and and um, Catalyst. And I think it's far and above everything else. Lost Stars. You got to remember Lost Stars too. Oh, Lost Stars too. Uh, and Lost Stars. Yeah. And, and and let's let's not mention. I will say it. Don't mention Battlefront. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But uh, but so 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 back to I mean we started to talk about Poggle and Geonosis earlier, but uh, we we there's there's been so many interesting discussions here, uh, and and I think now is probably a good time to come back. Um, Krennic is, has this idea to actually recruit Poggle the Lesser, um, so he basically goes and visits him in prison and convinces him to come work on the Death Star, which is fascinating to me to see this this. Um, this guy we've always associated with the separatists, right? The, uh, all of a sudden, be like, yeah, sure, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll come help you build the Death Star for the for the Republic or in this, at the time. Well, but we find um, out he's not really uh, agreeing to do it. Exactly, because because what happens? Can you say sucker? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> they, they build it for a while, and, and it's actually fascinating to see like Krennic's reaction to all like the uh, the bloodshed on Geonosis and everything. And... He's so disgusted. 
Yeah, and and how little he care the the the, the Genosians care about. Um, well, they care about life. I mean, because even yeah. even it got worse when the drones had a hard time inside trying to find work, and Krennic goes to Poggle, going, "Okay, you know, your drones are killing each other because there's not enough work." And and Poggle the Lesser is like, "You know what? Let them fight it out. That's what we do." Yeah. And if that's and, and if you guys have an issue with it, the way I understood it, tell your stormtroopers to start shooting. I don't care. Yeah, that was like that was like a whoa. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's the leader of the Genosians telling the Empire, uh, "Go k- kill, kill my people if if they're out of line." Like what? Yeah. I I was I wish I almost wish they'd explored that a little bit more because it's it's a really cool idea because you know most races in the Star Wars galaxy they tend to be represented as being fairly um, I'd say almost similar to us and in terms of culture and values and things like that. Uh, this was a really good example of the Genosians are completely different. Oh, workers die every day. Who cares? Yeah. Not, they're not really people. And right. on top of that, they fight each other they, 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 and they will kill each other. Yeah, sure. They die every day. We don't care about our people, but that's part of our culture. And especially well, the, and uh, the and if, tournament. if they don't, they'll fight each other. Yeah. And, like that, we, tournament. we did this solely to prevent them from screwing things up. Right. Yeah. Right. And so then, it, just, it was a neat touch. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'm curious, Sean, what did you think of Poggle's uh, eventual betrayal of uh, of Krennic and the Death Star? It it wasn't hugely surprising. Uh, what was surprising is that he was basically, you know, he, he escaped just to go off and die. Um, <laughs> and there was something delicious about that because I found out I was rooting for Krennic so much that... Uh, when I realized what Poggle was going off to um, was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you, you kind of hate him for that more. It's like, oh, you, you scumbag, you, you flew off. <laughs> and then he's going to Mustafar. I like to imagine he like he just drives and moves to Far. Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, ah, I escaped the Republic. That shows them. <laughs> I survived. And like, I survived. And then <laughs> flash cuts directly to Anakin showing up like, uh, never mind. Yeah, I <laughs> would have been safer on Geonosis with the Empire. Vader's here to take care of us. Oh, wait. Yeah, boy, um, is he taking care of you? Yeah, but but he, in order to engineer his escape, and this again just shows how little he cares for his people, right? And how little they they value life. Um, he basically stages this big uh, coup or this big rebellion, actually. A rebellion, and um, the Genosians start destroying the very space station that they were working on. Um, and the Empire, and I'm trying to remember, was it was it Krennic that actually ordered it, or or someone else? But I, I believe it was Krennic. Basically, orders the death of all the Genosians, and they basically commit genocide, genocide. No, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, it'll, it'll uh, I was trying to get it to work, but uh, they basically commit genocide, kill all the genocians. Are you sure? Because I thought they mentioned that there was a new, uh, like queen. The queen appointed a new archduke who was now helping them build the Death Star. Oh, I do uh, remember something about a queen. Maybe oh, now, I... but so, but I remember in uh, in Rebels season two, the honorable ones. This is the the episode where, um. Uh, where Zeb and uh, and Callus are stuck on the moon over Genosians or Genosis. Uh, when the rebels approach the planet, they see a bunch of debris 
but um, there are no life signs at anywhere on Geonosis. And I remember because like I think Kanan was surprised mm-hmm. by that. And at the time, uh, in some of the episode guides and uh, and Rebels Recon and stuff, um, the the cast and crew said, "Oh, you'll find out more about why the Geonosians are are gone later." Um, and I think we had assumed it might be Rogue One at the time, but uh, now we find out. I, I believe this, the way I I interpret it. Maybe I'm wrong. That um, pretty much all the all the Genosians were were wiped out, and maybe there's like a queen left somewhere getting ready to rebuild. And there is uh, like yeah. a, it's called the sterilization of Geonosis, and we, but we don't know exactly how that went down. But right. there was that queen that was kind of like partially a mech in the Vader comic. Right. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I think uh, the Genosians are some are still around. It's so like their their species isn't completely gone. But, but just a cleansing of the planet. Yeah, I got the impression yeah. that like maybe they were moved to a different planet with a new queen or something. I don't know. Or maybe I'm wrong. That's that. That's what I, the way I interpreted it. But I, I did like that that rebels connection there for sure. Well, I'm sure we get a little I, more uh, rebel stuff, uh, connected stuff to uh, with Rogue One after the movie's <laughs> released. Yeah, well, the next the yeah. next episodes of Rebels are called. Um, uh, I just we were just talked about this on the on the last episode. Uh, Ghost like of Geonosis. Of yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder if this will be interesting because now that I'm thinking about it. You know, you think of like Tatooine has kind of become synonymous with Star Wars. It's that location that even to the point of being annoying, we kind of go back and visit multiple times, even though it's supposed to be this planet that's in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I I've it's interesting to think that like Genosis is probably going to reach that same status. Like something it's weird. Cause we don't normally think of the prequels as having that kind of lasting impact um, in terms of locations at least, but I, this might be, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point. You might, you might be right. Cause it keeps popping up more and more. And it's all only been lately really that, I mean, we got a couple episodes uh, during, you know, the, during the Clone Wars, there was definitely stuff set on on Genosis because that made sense. It was during the war; it was mm-hmm. a, a Separatist factory. Um, but there's definitely, but they've been going back to Genosis a few times lately. Well, yeah. the reason why they went back to Genosis this time, if I remember correct, they took those droid factories and converted them into factories to help build the Death Star. So if you have all those droid factories around, just convert them and put them to good use. So mm-hmm. that, when it comes to well, the rub. When it comes to the well, that's exactly episodes. what they the, the, the empire did, right? They took yeah. the factories. That, that's why they they built the uh, Death Star around Genosis because they had all those factories. They were able to convert uh, into that. Uh, being said, destroy, that's a little risky when you build your uh, secret battle station that no one's supposed to find, where your uh, you know your opponent is like, hey, there's a lot of war material we could probably rescue there, <laughs> well, or hey, they there's a bunch of soldiers it. we could find there. That's why they probably moved it to. Uh, I'm guessing again, just pure pure theory. Just guessing here. Uh, probably they move it to Jeddah and then they move it to um, Scarif. Is, is my is, if I had to guess. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah, we'll find out. We shall see. Um, yeah, that was, I think I think is there anything else we've we've missed so far? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think that covers most of the novel. Yeah. If there's anything, it's probably minor, but I, I think yeah. that, you know, we covered the highlights of it that actually made an impact in the book. 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, one one more big one that was we were talking about uh, the the kyber crystals earlier, and probably the most uh, depressing part of the book in some ways was the fact that they destroyed Ilum, uh, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. Like they find out that the Empire is like is completely mining Ilum, and it's the planet's almost completely destroyed. And I I always have I've always enjoyed that planet quite a bit. Uh, so I was I was sad to see it um, just you know ripped apart. Oh, you know, we we did not... Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Oh, no, please, continue. I was say, we didn't really talk about the kyber crystals themselves that much. We learn a lot about them in the novel, too. We mm-hmm. find out that they're they're not living, but they show traces of having organic uh, tendencies. We know that they're actually resisting um, a lot of Galen's work to try oh, and do right. stuff with them. Right. And um, they actually cause them to, like, have... And yeah, they're sleeping or something. He has trouble sleeping. I feel Mm -hmm. like he thinks they're talking to him sometimes. Um, It's very interesting. I I wonder if if uh, kyber crystals are gonna come up at some point again. You know, so in the new canon, we've seen a lot about Jedi temples and Sith temples, and now we're starting to hear a lot about kyber crystals as well. So I feel like we might still be leading up to something for maybe episode eight or episode nine. At one uh, one point, um, uh, Gala talks about like, realigning the lattices along a darker nighttime access uh, might allow for greater control over the crystal's almost deliberate tendency to refract. And that's like they, so basically he said he talked about you know making it go dark makes it more powerful, and it essentially acted as a metaphor for the the rise of the dark side in the galaxy i remember i i I kind of got this metaphor as i was reading it i was like i am so smart i can see what he's doing there um (laughs) i felt i felt terribly clever for getting that and it was very clear that that's what he was going for it's this that the the kyber crystals are vital like they were used in the jedi's lightsabers to you know to bring peace blah 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 and now they're being used uh, to bring oppression and basically Mm -hmm. wipe out worlds in in their path. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you guys another question. I'm just gonna I'm gonna start speculating. Okay. Okay. So the first Death Star takes let's call it 20 years to build. Started at the beginning of the Clone Wars, finished in Episode Four. The second Death Star, which is not complete, takes them three years. Right. Now we've always assumed the second Death Star was in fact uh, started after the end of the first. What if that's the Separatist Death Star that was being built? Ooh. And it actually exists. Whoa. Okay, now, that totally blew apart my theory at the beginning of this episode where I thought both of them were basically working on the same Death Star because that's the impression I got when I was reading this book. Now, what you just said now makes total sense. Hmm. But well, I don't it's know about still, total sense, but it's, well, but, but it it's makes, interesting to ponder. It's, inter- it's Interest, interesting to ponder. Yeah. It's interesting to ponder because also, you look at it this way, Palpatine was playing both sides, so technically, I would believe that could be the case. The pro- the one problem there is, I feel like the Separatists would have needed to. I, I, I'm assuming we're assuming, I guess we don't really know. We're assuming the Death Star Two is effectively the same as the Death Star One, except, uh, like, except bigger, yeah, yeah, right, and not finished as early, <laughs> right? It's um, well, it's and, finished enough. Well, I mean, it, it took three years later. They were still not complete, right? They had the super laser well, gun, so that's about it. Fully armed and operational. Yeah, so exactly, it, it was, exactly. It was finished enough. 
exactly. I they put all the resources straight into the super laser. But yeah. I guess if they were developing the two battle stations side by side the whole time, I feel like parts of the research would have diverged, right? It would have been hard to share the same. I mean, yes, the Emperor's still, Palpatine's still controlling both sides, but it probably would have been harder to share that research between the different groups unless because it's so segmented they were able to actually have separatists and republic scientists working together without their knowledge mm -hmm. um i don't know I, I like the theory i like the idea um i'm not sure if it's i don't know i i, I kind of just assume that well it took him 20 years to figure out the tech right and because mostly because galen was you know refusing to help and right. taking his sweet time and destroying his research and all that kind of stuff but if um if Galen, uh, once they once they had it built, they're like, okay, now we we know how it how to do it. Let's just make it bigger, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's it, why they were able to. It would be a lot easier. I mean, yeah. it, just in terms of logistical issues, it seems like after a New Hope, the Empire gets even more oppressive, and mm. it kind of pushes yeah. people more. So I think a project of that. Uh, my assumption is that they apologies like start working another one immediately, um, and it was just a lot easier to build. Yeah, because the plans were yeah. already there, and they probably have, probably were able to get a better workforce, and they weren't using the uh, Geonosians drones for this one. You know, I, I hear Ewoks make for excellent uh, employees, so. <laughs> yup, no. Um, but of course, we'll probably find out all about uh, the second Death Star in Row 2, or many buttons. You know what? I, Big Star Wars project. Yeah, but I, I really, you know, really, really hope that they stick to there is no sequel to this. No, it's they, not a sequel. It's just called it's called uh, Many Many Bothans. Uh, yes, I like Many Bothans. <laughs> Many a Star Wars story. It's I, all about the the, the Bothan named Manny. Manny, I, I mean, Manny yeah, Bothans. It's Manny. <laughs> His name is Bothan. Manny yeah. Bothan, and it's going to be the yeah. Star Wars kind of James Bond themed. I, there you movie. go. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I was meaning the actual Rogue One. Bothan. Manny Bothan. <laughs> that there would not be a sequel to Rogue One. I, uh, I, Kathy I Kennedy, I believe, said there won't be. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. He said they're not talking about one right now. If right. the movie goes out and makes a billion dollars. Well, you know, yeah, it's like, a, you know, in, in theory, everyone could die at the end of the movie. Right. And and the sequel to Rogue One is a new hope. Right. That's right. That's yeah. what everybody's well, been if, saying. If, if everyone doesn't die, then you just make I mean, you really could make the movie about the Bothans. You could make Shadows of the Empire, really, is what the movie would be. Uh, it is going to happen. I think we can kind of safely assume that that will happen eventually. Uh, I would hope not. Because the sequel becomes, it's not a direct sequel, but is a sequel of the character. Spiritual successor, maybe. But Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think it will be it's a spiritual successor. The character sequel is how I would think about it. I, it, it it's it's too early. I mean, I, I really hope that they stick with it because for I, I definitely believe the sequel is episode four. Done. Well, no, it is. Yeah. Oh, wait, without a doubt. Yeah, yes. yeah, no, and then just yeah. leave it at that. Even if the but characters do survive, if but the characters are popular. You could make additional movies with the characters, though. So. Yeah, I, but I it would... wouldn't be a sequel to Rogue One per se. It would be, yeah. Yeah, I, I would. I would honestly, I would rather have all this stuff just go into the. You know, let it be explored in book form. Let it be explored in other ways instead of making another movie out of this. Now, if this does well, I guarantee you we'll be seeing all these Rogue One characters in books and in video games. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even the dead ones. 
<laughs> Even the dead ones, yeah. yeah and and we don't ones. know. We don't know. People might survive. They might die. We we don't know. Well, okay, hang on. So quick, just quick break for a moment. Spoilers for episode seven. The fact that Han died isn't going to stop them from making the Han Solo movie, so... Yep. Yeah, but they're not doing anything after his death. It's when he was starting out to being a Where's smuggler. It? Yeah, so... I don't know. You don't know when it. You don't know when the Han Solo movie takes place. <laughs> it is actually a story about what happens when you die and become one with the Force. You heard it here first. Oh God! Send your comments. Just kidding. <laughs> are Are we ready for reviews or anything else? I think we're good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Who would like to start this one off? Well, William, what about you? I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, <laughs> let's go ahead. Do it. Here we go. Go ahead. Uh, so, Rogue One Catalyst. You know, James, I said, I said it earlier, James Lucino is one of my favorite uh, Star Wars authors. Um, I, I, I love the way he, he writes. I love the, the details he adds to the story. Uh, this book in particular, you don't need to know a lot about Star Wars, I don't think, uh, in order to, to enjoy it. And it's a, it's a great... Great setup to Rogue One. It doesn't doesn't spoil any of the movie, but it gives you enough about the characters. Like we still know nothing about the movie, but we know now a little bit more about their their personalities and, and some of the some of the main you know the characters like Krennic or, or Galen uh, and kind of like where the state of the Death Star project is by uh, by this point. And so um, I, uh, I I thought. James Lucino did a fantastic job, and it's it's one of my favorite books of the new canon. Uh, hard to say favorite because I mean Bloodlines was so good and Lost Stars was so good, but this is definitely uh, up there in in the top the top books. And uh, I can't wait for Rogue One. We are just a few days away. Friday, uh, yeah. So yeah, th- Thursday night, Friday. Uh, the uh, the uh, the reviews come out soon, so I'm very very excited. I'm gonna give this book. Uh, nine out of ten. Uh, nine out of ten Womp Rats. And uh, my Womp Rats are, uh, you know, they, when the when the Geonosians were wiped out, the Womp Rats are the, are the ones who finished building the Death Star. And so my nine Womp Rats are hard at work making the Death Star. Interesting. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yep. I'll go next. Steven? Oh. Or Tom. Oh, Tom. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Um, Again, I, I I got this from the audiobook and I listened to it. I enjoyed it. I am also giving this a nine. Uh, I'm giving it a nine because it was a very good story. And also, um, if you have an opportunity, the audiobook I thought was really good. Um, the actor did a great job th- throughout the whole thing. There were sound effects. There is only one thing, and I've got to point this out, one thing that took me out of the book there is a there's a part of the book where they were called to general quarters or whatever when there was attack was going on. They used the wrong sound effect. <laughs> it was from Star that, Trek. It, oh no. no. Yes. Oh, it was Tom. the went, went, went. It was that one. The one that you oh. hear when they go to red alert. It was from Star Trek. That's they bad. did not use the one from the Rogue One uh, commercials that you heard all the time. That was the one thing that took me completely out of the book. 
I, you know, Tom, I was prepared to tell you that was you're being silly. That is not something to worry about. That is absolutely awful. I yeah. am, I am truly sorry. I, I just, you know what? I, I am that much of a stickler, as you know me, when it comes to animation and the voice work and all the other stuff. I'm, I'm that much of a stickler paying attention to it and listening to this book. I, my wife was funny. My wife was like, "You could actually pay attention to pay attention to the book." Is you're 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 listening? I go, "Yes, I am." As you could tell, I was able to pull out a whole bunch of stuff during this while listening to the book. That was the one thing that pulled me out of it. Other That's than really- that, everything else was great. Um, love the book. I think it's a great lead in to, to Rogue One. Um, I do see this as the jumping off point into Rogue One. If you have the book, please read it before the movie, although you have a few days to do it. Audiobook uh, is a good option if you want to just get it over with. I am taking my nine Womp Rats, and, you know, it really wasn't a kyber crystal that was powering the laser. It was these nine Womp Rats on this big hamster wheel that were running their butts off to make the thing work. <laughs> And nice. there you ah. have it. <laughs> there was the exclamation point right there with the wolf. So <laughs> that was yeah, amazing. That was perfect. So yeah, it was nine womp rats who were on a hamster wheel that were powering the laser to the Death Star. Okay. Cool. Okay. Sean, you want to go next? Oh, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so I too am going to give this nine womp rats. Um, they're actually the same womp rats that you guys used, uh, but they were recruited after they managed to uh, stitch together uh, Krennic's cape, his glorious cape. And, <laughs> and, so, and so, yeah, they're, they're just great creators. Um, as I said in the review I wrote for the New York Daily News, uh, Catalyst proves to be a superb prequel for Robot creating momentum for that movie while creating while telling a great tale of its own it's kind of sick to quote yourself isn't it no no <laughs> yeah, do it do it was a great review absolutely great. perfect <laughs> um but like the only like uh, slight issue i had with it was that Haas was less well realized than the other characters and i cared less but i really did care about the others um and i just hope rogue one lives up to what this did Based on the early impressions, I'm confident it will. Mm-hmm. Oh, so am I. So am I. <laughs> Steven? Right. I guess that it. Makes, it, makes it me. Yep. Uh, so uh, I was going to give it an 8.5, but just to be unanimous, I'll give it a 9 out of 10 as well. Uh, <laughs> Sean, you actually took the my exact point, which was I enjoyed everything about the novel except for the Haas chapters. Yep. I just never felt like he... I don't know. It almost felt like the writing was different because as soon as those chapters would start, I'd have to force myself to read them to actually get through them. Interesting. Uh, I just, I had a lot of issues there. Um, the rest of the novel, I thought, did a really good job. I wish there was a stronger ending, but the stronger ending really is re- the actual movie we're about to go see. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, 9 out of 10. Um, so, you know, obviously Project Celestial Power had a number of research facility- facilities across the galaxy. And they were all working on weaponizing Galen's research. It turns out there was actually one that was closer than most and was crewed by nine womp rats. All very, very smart. <laughs> Let it never be said that the Empire doesn't recognize talent when it sees it. They, they weren't uh, responsible for the exhaust port, were they? 
Uh, well, it's not. They're, they would rather neither confirm nor deny that anything uh, related to exhaust ports were related to what they were working on. Fair enough. Fascinating. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is a this is a very fun review. Yeah, it was. And clearly, you should read this book. Clearly, because it's a uh, it's a good one. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm going to ask you guys this. Now that I've um, listened to the audiobook, would you recommend that I now actually read the book? Because because in that order. Well, I don't think you have to. So, so for me, like sometimes if, it depends on what you're doing mm-hmm. when you're listening to the the audiobook. Right. I've noticed that sometimes, uh, so like I'll, I'll typically try like listen in the car or something, and right. then at that point it's easy to focus on on the audiobook. Mm-hmm. But then at times I go like, oh, I want to I want to read a little more, and then I'll be like, oh, I can like I don't know check Twitter on my phone real quickly. It won't be a problem. I'll just quickly check Twitter or like while I'm like walking around the house or mm-hmm. something, listening to the book and then I get distracted and then I miss something. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll usually either like want to reread the book so I can really focus on it. Right. Uh, but if you feel like you, you got the story, which I mean, hopefully you did it, well, you know, I, I, uh, then, um, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry. It's completely okay. optional. No, that's, that's fine because I, I just found it fascinating about, uh, Steven, you mentioned about the, the Haas orbit character. And I guess for me, uh, because I heard the audiobook and an actor portrayal of the character, I didn't have that kind of problem with it. So, I, and also I did try to, uh, I was getting a car serviced. I didn't have my phone with me. Well, I had my phone with me, but I didn't have headphones. And I had the book with me. I started reading it. The one thing that I noticed is I'm reading the book. I went back and read over some of the chapter that I heard. And I could hear the actor portrayal as I'm reading it. So I could hear the voices. I, I could hear him speaking. I could hear all sound effects. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't the Star Trek one because it was before that happened. But um, I, so, so it's almost like I just wanted to ask that because I just – that was my impression for the Haas character. And I was wondering reading it if I would see what you guys saw with the character or not. But it, it seems like – It may just be that the character didn't click with me. That's I, possible. It's hard to say. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think right now that, that it's – I am looking. I'm kind of looking forward to the way the book ended. If he's one of the characters that's not mentioned in any of the uh, uh, actor lineups, that he will appear, because that would be a plot thread from the book. That is there going to be an explanation or a wrap up of that of that character? So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, Sean. Thank you so much for Thank coming you, on this this episode. This was so much fun to review this with you. <laughs> oh, I agree. Coming on with you guys is all, and even listening to you guys is always a whole lot of fun. Well, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you very that. much. And we have a huge week coming up. Uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, the first spinoff film, arrives this week. Uh, really? And I believe, um, yeah, yeah, a, 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 a tiny little film. It's a little, um, ooh, a little bit of a film. Yeah, and so we're actually recording this on uh, Sunday. We're actually going to publish this episode uh, a little bit later in the week, uh, right before Rogue One. So uh, stay tuned because uh, Rogue One is just a day or two away by the time you're you're listening to this. And um, we're actually we might we might publish it now. Who who knows? We'll see. Thinking through our thinking through our our publishing schedule, I realized actually we might want to do this sooner because uh, we will be having our review of Rogue One coming very 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 soon uh hopefully 
Well, as you're listening to this, hopefully our review will be imminent just hours away uh, or, or a day away. So stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, Sean, you have a great interview coming up with the Rogue cast of Rogue One, I believe, right? Uh, yes. Do you want to yes, plug uh, that real quick? Well, one of my colleagues uh, already has pieces uh, featuring quote with quotes from uh, Felicity Jones and Gareth Edwards and Riza Mead. Um, and, but I have a few of the others uh, in a piece that's coming out. I'm going to, that will be published tomorrow. Uh, so, yes, just I guess if you could add a link to your description, um, that would be great. Uh, but yes, I, I have quotes from. Ooh. I think uh, I think you were saying you have to interview Kathleen Kennedy and a few others. Yes, right? yes, that, that's yeah. its own piece. Uh, I have Diego Luna, uh, Alan Tudyk, um, Donnie Yen, and. And Ben Mendelsohn. So, oh, awesome! Yes, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they have some cool, cool uh, little anecdotes about their experiences. Very cool. We will definitely be sure to check that out. We'll put a link in the in the show notes once that that interview goes live. And oh, no. thank uh, you. Cool. Yeah, and uh, stay tuned because we our our review of Rogue One is coming up very very soon. Enjoy the film. Oh, but actually, before we go, any uh, any last. Uh, any last thoughts on Rogue One? Any anything you're really hoping to see? What you're really hoping for? I would love, just as a quick side note, I would love to see some more of the interaction between Krennic and Tarkin in Rogue One. Yes, 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 absolutely. That Imperial jostling for power and the politics of the Empire are fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Do much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, Sean, thanks again. Do you want to uh, plug your site one more time and where people can find you? Uh, yes. Well, uh, my the, I work for the New York Daily News where I review the novels, uh, occasionally get cast interviews, and I, uh, I recap Rebels each week. Um, and I am to be found on Twitter under at Spectacular Sean. Awesome. Cool. Thanks again for joining us. And we'll be back soon with our review of Rogue One. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncannoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.